Good morning, world. Welcome to another episode of Zendependently Minded. If you are a new or returning listener, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you're interested in more MMA content like this podcast, stay tuned because it's only going to get bigger and better from here. And be a good person and just share Zendependently Minded with anybody you know, like, or love. Because the podcast is about to delve into things that are bigger and better and more important than just MMA. So soon soon enough, this podcast is going to be just, it's not just going to be combat sports, it's going to, I have something exciting, I'm not going to get into details, but there's going to be more than just combat sports showing up on Independently Minded soon. But what's up guys, to my few listeners, um, hopefully you're still interested, uh, still listening to the podcast, this is the first episode I've done in, done in about a month. Yeah, the last episode that I did was for my prediction for the entire main card for the Connor and Poirier rematch, and I just haven't done an episode since then just because I've been really burned out. Um, I've been writing a book, I've been writing actually a few books, taking notes on a few books, I have work, and I just felt a little burnt out. I've been, I feel that I've been pretty consistent with the podcast over the past year because I've only been doing it about a year. So just took some time away, didn't want to, you know, not going to quit on the podcast or anything. Uh, definitely, definitely back to a normal schedule, doing it every week. And if it, if there's not a UFC card on the weekend, which I'm pretty sure there is going to be for the next, yeah, there's going to be a, a pretty, pretty impressive stretch of cards for a while. Yeah, I think, I think back to back every single weekend, we're going to have cards. I think until after UFC 260, but there's always going to be, whether it's UFC news, Bellator news, uh, boxing news, there's always going to be some combat sports news for me to cover, so, Uh, and like I said, there's going to be something exciting, something a little different, but something that I've been been thinking about doing, a couple of other podcasts have inspired me to do it, I'm going to be doing something a little more fun, a little half-hearted, um, kind of comedic, but half-serious every once in a while. I'm going to start that maybe in a couple weeks, and but I'll I'll talk about a little more details in that later. But So for this episode, I'm just going to obviously cover UFC 259. So I'm going to analyze, predict, and discuss uh, the Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny fight, and then every every fight on the main card for 259. So this is definitely one of the most stacked cards I've seen Definitely in recent years, definitely the most stacked card so far this year. We've only had, we've only had you know two pay per views this year, but still this is by far the the most stacked card so far this year. I'm not too sure. I do think personally, I do think that this this card is more stacked than 260, but 260 is also a pretty stacked card. It has has two title fights, but still Tyron Woodley, Vicente Luque, Sean O'Malley. It's a, it's a good card, so I'm excited. But yeah, 259 definitely very stacked um, from top to bottom. Even in the prelims, uh, we got Joseph Benavides fighting Askar Askarov, who I believe is undefeated, and then we have Dominic Cruz fighting Casey Kenny. It's going to be interesting. So starting off with Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny. So Casey Kenny is undefeated in the UFC. I think his last finish was. Um, a submission win. I don't remember who it was over, but I do know that he had a submission win, and then he had two decision wins after that. And then obviously Dominic Cruz, most people remember 
definitely including himself and Keith Peterson. Dominic Cruz got knocked out, I believe, towards the end, like the very end of the second round against Henry Cejudo for the vacant bantamweight belt. Or not vacant. It was not vacant. <laughs> it was um, vacant after that fight because Henry Cejudo retired. But yeah, so th this fight's going to be interesting because Casey Kenny is a solid, young, kind of up-and-comer. He's trying to make a name for himself. Like I said, he he's coming off two decision wins. But the guy's a black belt, black belt in jiu-jitsu. I know, for anybody who knows anything about jiu-jitsu, black belts, just because you're a black belt doesn't mean that you're good, obviously. It depends on who you got it from. But I do think, um, in all honesty, that Casey Kenny is a legit black belt. <clears throat> that being said, Dominic Cruz has fought everybody there is to fight in the bantamweight division uh, since the beginning of his career and before coming to the UFC. So... I do think, I do favor Dominic Cruz in this fight, but the main thing that, that, that Casey has to come in and do is just come out quick, maybe chop at the legs the way that Henry Cejudo did, and then really, it's just gonna all depend on whether or not Dominic Cruz has mentally gotten over that loss to Henry Cejudo, because I know a lot of memes came out of that fight and Dominic Cruz's reaction, I know there's that there's that Keith Peterson parody account on Twitter that came out of it. He got pretty big. I think a lot of people, I know for a fact because I was one of them, a lot of people think thought that that was his real, Keith Peterson's real account. <laughs> yeah, memes came from Dominic Cruz's reaction to the loss. You know, he blamed, he blamed Keith Peterson for a bad stoppage. And at first I did, watching it live, I did think it was a bad stoppage. Then I rewatched it, like, that replay shortly after that they always show for finishes or just for like at the end of every fight they showed the highlights so when I rewatched it then and then I rewatched it a couple times afterwards I did feel that was a solid stoppage I think it was a good stoppage I think Keith gave Dom every chance that he could and Dom just was eating unanswered shots and you know he was trying to he was trying to get back to his feet but ultimately I think it was a good stoppage but it's all just basically this fight's outcome is going to weigh in on whether Dominic Cruz can come out and use that awkward style that he always has, that breakdance style, and just win. I, I don't think he's going to come out and try to finish Casey. Uh, Casey's never been finished in his entire pro MMA career. Both his losses came by decision, so it's all just going to depend on whether or not Dominic Cruz comes out and forgets about that last loss and comes out and does enough damage and pieces up Casey enough to win. And then on the flip side, it's going to depend on if Casey can kind of, you know, equalize that awkward style, possibly try to take the fight to the ground, but so we'll see. I'm not sure if Casey's going to try to take Dom down. I'm not sure if that's, you know, I, I, I honest, to be honest, I, I don't know too much about Casey, but I just do know that he has a submission win in the UFC, and he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he's fighting in my opinion, the greatest bantamweight in all of UFC history. So we'll see if, if Dom comes out a little more calculated and reserved or if he comes out guns a-blazing and tries to tries to finish Casey or just at least do damage and win in the eyes of the judges. So moving on to the main card. Actually, now that I think about it, I before the sponsorship break, I don't think I even made my official prediction for that Dominic Cruz-Casey-Kenny fight. So my official prediction is Dominic Cruz by decision. The score will be 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards.
So moving on to the main card. We have the first fight of the main card, and it's one of two non-title fight bouts. So this is a light heavyweight fight between two kind of a little bit contenders. They're, neither of them are going to get title shots if they get wins, but it could be one or two one or two wins after this one, and they could be in the uh, true contention, you know. But So we have a fight between Tiago Santos and Alexander Rakic. So Alexander Rakic is a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, and his style, though, is, a, is not too wildly different from Tiago Santos, but definitely doesn't have as much power as Tiago. Definitely doesn't have as many knockouts, but he is coming into the prime of his career, and he's only got two losses on his professional MMA career, so I'm definitely favoring him here. But I do think for him it's going to be about utilizing that little bit of reach advantage he has. He's not much of a takedown guy and a wrestling guy. He does have a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, I believe, if my research is correct. Um, a couple times in the past, in past UFC fights, he has gone for like three or four takedowns, but he's not too much of a wrestler. Uh, if he was, it would this this matchup I would be highly favoring him over Tiago, but Alexander in his last win in his last fight I think it was a decision win against Anthony Smith. In that fight, he just touched up Anthony Smith. He was beating the crap out of him on the feet, and I don't even think he attempted a single takedown. So it's going to be a little bit harder to beat on Tiago Santos the way he beat on Anthony Smith. Just because with Anthony Smith, there's not as much of a power threat as there is with Tiago. Even though Tiago is 37 years old, there's still that power threat. We saw that against Glover Teixeira, when he got, even though he got submitted ultimately in the third round. He was able to knock down Glover and, and hurt him. And then he took it to the ground, tried to get on top, and then it just didn't work out for him. But I think the key for Alexander to win is to just kind of get in, get out, hit Tiago Santos with volume. And if he does feel like it, um, it will definitely look good on the judges' scorecards to go and scoop in, get a couple takedowns, maybe finesse around on the ground, use a little bit of that jujitsu, and then that's how it should go the whole fight. Just land at volume and avoid that the powerful counterpunches from Tiago. And then on Tiago's side, Tiago, you know, he doesn't have that speed advantage. He doesn't have that youth advantage over Alexander. But he has power and he has experience, and the key for him is to just not to just throw, try to land those one-hitter quitters. Definitely try to land some combos and plant in. Try to use his feet because you know his legs and his kicks are dangerous. I'm not. I I can't really remember off the top of my head if he used his kicks as much against Glover since he was coming off of like a whole year off recovering from that ACL tear against John Jones. But the power is still there, like I've said. So the key for Tiago is to just throw nice combinations and set up that big shot that can ultimately put Alexander away because we have seen Alexander, we have seen Rockage get knocked down before. It's absolutely possible to win, to land that fight-ending blow. But at the end of the day, my just based off of my research and my film study, I do believe Alexander is going to win by decision. Moving on up to the last non-title fight in this card, this is an, an exciting one. This is going to be a true test for Islam Makachev as he faces off against Drew Dober. So Islam, everyone knows really who he is. He's got a big following on social media, at least from like Russia and Dagestan. But he's a guy from, I think he's related to Khabib. If not, they're very close and he's, he's trained together with Khabib and under Khabib's dad and all that. And he's, he's a solid fighter. 
and I do think this is going to be the toughest test of Islam's career, just because Drew Dober, Drew Dober is a guy that has a lot of experience. He's been up and down. You know, he's got a couple wins. He gets wins and losses, but he's been uh, Drew Dober's been in the UFC since 2013. He's got one knockout loss, couple submission losses, um, a lot of decision losses though, and most recently. Drew Dober knocked out Alexander Hernandez, which is something that I think I think everyone enjoyed seeing because, you know, Alexander Hernandez is not the most liked guy in the UFC. That trash talk of Cowboy kind of came out of left field and, you know, we all saw and definitely remember what happened. And if you don't remember, if you have a Twitter, refresh on Twitter every time there's an Alexander Hernandez fight coming up and you'll see that knockout skid that he's been going on. Anyway, moving back on to the task kit, to the topic at hand, Drew Dober, uh, he's been in the UFC for a long time. Only, surprisingly enough, he's been in the UFC only a couple years longer than Islam. It's just Islam is not as active. Um, it's totally possible because Drew Dober is on a three knockout win streak right now. Drew could be seeing a revival in his career. I know it's not too late. He could still be in his athletic prime. He's only 32 years old. But ultimately, I do think Islam is, he's a lot, he's the better fighter on the feet. And when it comes to the ground, we haven't seen much of Islam on the ground as of recently. Um, his last fight, when he knocked Avi Hamos on the he knocked him down and he jumped on top of him, he dominated him on the ground. And Davi is, is a former jiu-jitsu world champion. So this is a guy that, this is a guy that has dealt with skilled, experienced people on the ground in islam islam is is solid on the ground and he's got that sambo background so i do think islam has the upper hand on the feet and on the ground but i do think that islam is going to get it done he's going to he's going to finish drew he's going to piece him up on the feet i think he's going to knock drew down and then he's going to finish him with some some ground and pound i think that'll happen in the second round so moving on to the very highly anticipated bantamweight title bout between Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. So this fight is something that I've really been torn between. I've been watching both guys' UFC careers, and then I've gone back to Peter Yan's career before the UFC, before he got into the best MMA organization in the world. So this is going to be interesting. I think that it can go one of two ways. I do think, I think that Peter Yan can finish Aljamain Sterling on the feet, but I also think Aljamain can, I mean, this is really obvious, this is not, I'm not the first person to think of this, I do think Aljamain could take Peter Yan to the ground and sub him via leg lock or something, but Peter Yan obviously has some great boxing, he's one of the best stance switchers in the entire sport, and the entire UFC, definitely in his division, he's one of the best, if not the best. We saw him piece up Uriah Faber, completely dismantle him. Granted, that was a well-passed prime Uriah Faber, but we also saw Peter Yan come in against Jose Aldo, and, you know, I do personally think that Peter was kind of pulling his punches a bit in that fight, just out of respect for the legend that Jose Aldo is. But in the end, we saw Peter beat Jose Aldo, knock him down, and then for some god-awful reason, for some unknown reason, the ref let Jose take a thousand unanswered shots, but so far in the UFC, 
in Peter Jan's UFC career, we haven't really seen him get tested or have too much resistance. The most resistance he got was from Jose Aldo. And like I said, I do think Peter was pulling his punches a little bit there. But that being said, we haven't seen Peter Jan on the ground. And we obviously have seen Aljamain Sterling on the ground. Aljamain has some of the best jiu-jitsu in the entire UFC. I do think he has the best jiu-jitsu in the bantamweight division right now. So, but we also have seen Aljamain get knocked out on the feet. We saw him get knocked out a few years ago with a leg kick. I believe it was like, it was almost like a leg kick. It was like a knee turned to a leg kick from Rollin Marais. So we have seen Aljamain Sterling get beat on the feet. And he does have a couple decision losses, I believe. I don't think he has any decision losses in the UFC, but he has a couple decision losses on his MMA career. Yeah, so he, he did lose against Brian Caraway early in his UFC career, and I believe that's the only loss. So he only has two losses in the UFC, one by knockout, getting knocked out by a killer in Marlon Rice, who I believe should move up to 145, but I can talk about that another time. So that all being said, you know, we have a submission artist, a guy who's absolute, he's absolutely a killer on the ground. He's, he's been able to completely wipe out any race people who are killers on the feet, like Corey Sanhagen. He just completely drowned Corey with pressure. He stuffed him, suffocated him, took him down, and then submitted him really quick. And Corey Sanhagen is a, is a great fighter. He's a great talent. At the time when he fought Aljamain, he was undefeated in the UFC, and I believe he was the favorite in that fight. So we've seen Aljamain Sterling equalize violent, dangerous strikers, but we've also seen him get equalized and get knocked out. So it's happened before, and I've just been so torn. And, you know, this is the reason why the odds are so even with these guys. This is, this is a fight that could go either way at any moment in time. But what I'm leaning towards is Peter Yan knocking out Aljamain Sterling after figuring out, figuring him out a little bit into the third or the fourth round. I do think he's going to catch him with a straight left or a straight right hand. You can't really tell when it comes to Peter Yan's because the guy switches stances all the time. But I do think Aljamain is going to try and fail quite a few times through the first two three and four rounds even and he's going to kind of get tired and I think Peter's going to pick him apart and eventually that that lack of cardio or that lack of energy I mean because I'm, I'm sure Aljamain trains super hard and I'm sure he trains his cardio but he probably trains on the ground a little more and when he's not going to be able when he's unable to take Peter Yon down which I think is going to happen he's going to get tired he's starting he's going to get sloppy his defense is going to break down, and I think Peter is going to knock him out. I think he's going to knock him down and then possibly proceed to ground and pound him because at that point, Al Jermaine's jiu-jitsu is not going to save him. That's, 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 if I can say that I'm confident in the slightest, like maybe the tenth of a percent, that's what I'm going to lean towards. So Peter Yan, fourth round knockout. Moving on to the co-main event, we have a women's featherweight title fight between Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson. So, this is a fight that, unlike the previous fight, it's not close at all. I don't think there's much of a chance for Megan Anderson. I'm just going to be completely honest. You know, if I was to ever bet, I've never bet on fights before, I've never bet on sports, period, 
I know I've made verbal bets with people before, but I've never put money in. And I definitely don't plan on it now. But if I was to, you know, I'd put in money for Megan Anderson because she's such a big underdog. But just looking at what Amanda Nunes' strengths are, which are wrestling, and what Megan Anderson's weaknesses are, getting taken down, um, I'm not going to say that she's the, she's got the worst takedown defense, but Holly Holm took her down a couple times. And if Holly Holm, who is a smaller, weaker, less definitely inferior wrestler compared to Amanda Nunes, you know, what's going to stop Amanda Nunes from taking Megan down? Megan, Megan is a lot taller than Amanda. We saw that at the weigh-ins. She's got a reach advantage, obviously, but the reach advantage is not too huge. Obviously, it's an important thing. The only thing that Megan Anderson could possibly do is to catch Amanda with, with a knee or with a leg or just with some kind of counter or a hook as Amanda's coming blitzing in. But I don't think that's going to happen because Amanda is not a sloppy fighter. She's very calculated. She's very smart. She trains an American top team. So her coaches definitely have her prepared for this one. And obviously when it comes to combat sports, whether it's boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, or obviously MMA, anything can happen. Obviously we've seen a lot of a lot of upsets, a lot of huge betting upsets and underdogs coming out victorious, doing crazy things that nobody thought could happen. You know, look, looking back at Connor versus Dustin. I know a lot of people did think it was possible. I totally thought it was possible, but, you know, it wasn't. It was not a very likely thing to happen for Dustin to knock out Connor. Coming back to the subject, though, it's absolutely possible that Megan catches Amanda with a knee as Amanda comes in for a takedown. But I just don't see that happening. I I don't think Megan is a proper contender for Amanda, which sucks because there aren't many women's featherweight fighters to begin with in the UFC. So there's not really many people that they could throw out Amanda. So I totally understand why the UFC did this, but I just I think Amanda's too calculated. She's too smart. She's too strong. She's in her prime, and she's just she's just too great. She's she's the greatest women's fighter of all time in any combat sport, period, and she's one of the greatest fighters of all time. Just seeing how much she's dominated, especially in the past couple of years, and how she's put out legends like Chris Cyborg, and put out a legend like Ronda Rousey, who took women's MMA to another level, and she, she dominated her in convincing fashion, and I think that she's going to do that against Megan tomorrow. I do think that Amanda is going to keep it staying on the feet for a while, and if Megan does start to piece her up, does start to land some scary shots, Amanda can and will take Megan to the ground and dominate her, just like she did Jermaine Durand to me. We saw Jermaine was pretty dangerous on the feet the first time they fought and the second time they fought. And Amanda was able to equalize that danger, take her to the ground, and dominate her on the ground. And I think that is what's going to happen tomorrow. I think Amanda's going to stand up with her if and when there is any threat. She'll take Megan down, but I do also think it's possible that Megan comes in a little too, you know, a little too timid, a little too wild, and she gets caught, and Amanda puts her puts her away. But I do think that Amanda is going to win via decision by domination. Moving on to the main event, finally we're here. So, I I always thought that Israel was going to transcend. Ever since I saw him fight Derek Brunson and knock Derek Brunson out. Just his his attitude, his demeanor, his IQ, 
his strike, like just his his Israel Adesanya's fight IQ is amongst the best in the sport, and Dan Hardy definitely breaks this down so well in his War Room, but War Room episode for for this fight that I'm talking about right now. But Israel Adesanya's understanding of the striking game is just so beyond comprehension for someone like me, or even someone who's just getting into the UFC. Any kind of pro that might be good or even great at striking, they're still levels below Israel Adesanya. And I knew that Izzy was going to get big, but I didn't think he'd get this big, and I didn't think he would move up to light heavyweight this quick. You know, he has two two title defenses. If you ask Izzy, he has three because he counts that Robert Whitaker fight as a title defense. But so he has two title defenses, successful ones, against Yoel Romero and Paulo Costa. But I don't blame Izzy for moving up, just because champ champ status is such a it's it's a big deal. It's almost like having a single belt and defending it is less valuable for some reason in the eyes of fighters nowadays. And it's the same it's the same in boxing. You don't see one guy just unless you're the Klitschko brothers. You don't really see someone just defend and stay with one belt. You see guys moving up and down on the weight classes, and that's what we're starting to see now. And it's, I totally understand why Izzy did it for multiple reasons, but the main reason is that there's just he didn't want to sit and hold and clog up the middleweight division. But there, once Jared Cannonier got knocked out by Robert Whitaker, there was just there was no, you know, there was no interesting fights for him there. So I understand why he's moving up. And obviously, for Jan Blachowicz, you know, this is, you gotta defend your belt against a superstar like this, because if you beat Izzy, it will just overvalue your stock, or not overvalue, it will will just raise your stock by a lot. I know he's a very popular guy in Poland, and everyone's really happy for him because he's the second Polish champion, and I'm happy for him. This is this is a big fight for, for both guys. And it's definitely going to have all of us combat sports fans, you know, on the edge of our seats, on the tip of our toes. Something that I don't see a lot of people though covering is that both guys are counter punchers and both guys are both guys are patient strikers. So the first round could could be completely just Israel Adesanya throwing those hip feints. It could there could be like five strikes thrown in the first round. It could just be leg kicks and jabs from both guys. I do think that Izzy's plan is to come out and draw draw Jan's guard away the way that Dan Hardy said um and he's pointed out in the past that Jan falls for feints a lot and he'll drop his guard just for a split second, but that split second can be very dangerous, especially against a guy like Israel Adesanya which we've seen him in the past do crazy things like throw two kicks on the right side or throw throw wild combinations, break someone's guard, and then catch him with a leg kick. He's done these things throughout his entire professional MMA career. So it's definitely going to happen. I'm just not sure if it's going to be enough to put Jan away. On the, on the flip side, Jan, Jan is a very heavy guy, obviously. He, he actually isn't, he's not weighing in too much higher than Izzy. I think Izzy weighed in at 20, I want to say 201, and Jan was 211, but still. Israel Adesanya is a smaller guy, he's a quicker guy, but when it comes to being taken down, we haven't really seen anybody, we've never seen anyone taken down and hold him down. 
But if Jan was able to take Izzy down and get him into a compromising position, he could absolutely hold Izzy down because of how big he is and how strong he is. Izzy, Izzy has been training jiu-jitsu. I believe he got his blue belt or his purple belt recently in jiu-jitsu. So that being said, we haven't really seen him on the ground. We're not quite, we're not, nobody besides him and his team knows what he's capable of on the ground. But I do know that they definitely don't want the fight to go to the ground. Um, so I think Jan's plan should probably be to get a hold of Izzy, get him in close, and land some, land some powerful shots in close, and possibly take Izzy down and, you know, threaten him with, threaten him with that ground and pound, possibly with a submission too. I know Jan hasn't gotten a submission win in the UFC since like 2016, so it's been quite a while, but, you know, the opportunity is there with a, with a smaller, but also slick and quick guy like Izzy. So I do think the strengths and definitely the keys for victory for Jan are closing the distance, watching out for those leg kicks and trying to take the fight to the ground and, you know, kind of trying to beat, win, win the control battle for sure. But definitely for Jan, he's going to try to go out there and knock out Izzy. And Izzy's going to try to go out there and not get knocked out. So the key for Izzy, I think, is to keep the distance, use a lot of those feints, and then chop the wood, whether it's body body kicks, leg kicks, or head kicks. I do think that Izzy is going to come out and he's going to be victorious. I think he is going to pick Jan apart. I've been saying that a lot in this episode. I've noticed that. Also, I've been playing this audio back and I've noticed there's a lot of, there's been a little bit of glitch so hopefully i can remove that and edit that out but i'll be able, I'll, I'll figure out what's going on with my mic and figure uh, figure something out for the next episode cuz definitely don't like that glitching sound but at the end of the day i do think that izzy is going to pick apart yan on the feet he's going to avoid being taken down i don't think he'll be taken down at all and i think once izzy starts to really chop chop at the legs and chop at the body and maybe even cut Jan from an elbow or from a kick or a jab. I think that Jan's going to start to get desperate. He's going to start to go for takedowns. Izzy will make him tired by denying him those takedowns and then he will eventually eventually just start to tee off on him in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds and I think I don't think he's going to finish Jan but I do think he's going to win in dominating fashion possibly 50-45 or maybe even 49-46. That's what I'm going to lean towards. So Israel Adesanya will become the fifth, I believe, double champ, or for fifth fighter to hold a belt in two weight classes. I think he's going to do that by decision. Thank you for tuning in on this episode of Zendependently Minded. Let me know what you think is going to go down at UFC 259 this Saturday or Sunday if you're in Europe like me. And thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay away from those crazies out there.